Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to talk about grace tonight. That shouldn't be a surprise after all that we've sang about and all that we've talked about about grace and the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the only song we didn't sing was Amazing Grace, but His grace is amazing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I appreciate your prayers again. And uh, I'm going to have to take this verse to heart tonight. I will therefore gladly glory in my infirmities that the strength of Christ might be shown. Amen. And so we're going to look at that tonight a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such a one caught up to the third heaven. Now, there are commentators and preachers that are dogmatic that that is actually the Apostle Paul, but I don't know that. The Bible does not say that, and so we cannot be, we must be silent where the Bible is silent. Paul says, I know a man, and I just have to take it at face value that he knows a man that this happened to. Verse 3. And I knew him, such a man, whether he be in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such one will I glory. <coughs> Yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. Understand the Lord Jesus Christ knows you better than anybody else. And you can be exalted above measure in, in the eyes of men. I've, I've always struggled with that. I've never understood. Somebody will say some celebrity is coming to town and people flock to them. I say, who cares? They're just flesh and blood. They're just, they might hit a ball better than anybody else. Or they might, they, they might sing better than some other person. And so they have stages where millions of people come and listen to them. But they're still flesh and blood. And here's the thing. God knows your heart. And what you do on a public stage has nothing to do with whether or not you'll go to heaven. Where you'll spend eternity is only upon the condition of your heart. Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? And so he says, lest I should be exalted, verse 7, above measure, through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Paul says, I, there's a lot I could glory in. There's a lot of things God has given me, specifically revelations. He has shown me things. See, I've seen things. And we know that Paul wrote much of the New Testament. About a third of the New Testament was penned in the, by the human author Paul. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God had certainly poured himself into Paul. And Paul put pen to paper and allow us to have all these epistles. And he says, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Listen to this. Verse 7, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand your word tonight and speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you'd give me the strength. 
but more importantly, give me the spirit. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would uh, speak to our hearts through your word. Would you magnify your word? Lord, nothing that I say is of any importance, but everything that comes from the word of God is of utmost importance. So I pray that you commit it to our hearts and our minds tonight. Father, I surrender to you and I need your help. And Lord, I'm preaching only because I believe you'd have me to preach this message. And so Lord, give me the words to say. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul speaks about a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan. The word Satan means adversary. It was something that was adversarial to him. I I don't know if Paul is speaking specifically about the character Satan, the person of Satan. But it's definitely something that was adversarial to him. Something that was hindering him in the ministry. The translators believed that it was a, that it was the person of Satan because they put a capital S on there. And, and they believed and referred to the person of Satan. And, and, and no doubt at times, Paul felt like that this thorn in the flesh had come from the devil himself. But nonetheless, it was something that hindered him in the ministry. We don't know exactly what it is. Some, some uh, believe that maybe it was poor eyesight. We know that Paul was taken on the road to Damascus and there he saw the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and there was a brightness and shine and Paul was blind for a few days after there until the scales fell from his eyes. Later on, Paul would write in the epistle, see how large a letter I've written to you with mine own hand. Referring to large letters, perhaps meaning that he couldn't see very well. And we don't know for sure if that's the thorn in the flesh that he speaks of, but perhaps it was something else. Paul had taken a lot of beatings in his life, hadn't he? You'll remember that he was left for dead outside the wall of a city once, and there was times that he was beaten with a cat of nine tails and lashes, and, and, and so he, he had suffered pain, he'd been shipwrecked, and, and there was different times where he had been even stoned, and, and, and so we know that Paul's body had taken a beating for the cause of Christ. Perhaps he was just suffering from the pain and the aches of these injuries, Maybe it was arthritis had set in and different things were plaguing his body. We don't know. Perhaps Paul is referring to some other ailment altogether. Something that had plagued him perhaps chronically from his childhood or maybe something that had been onset later in life. We really don't know. But as we go through these examples, perhaps tonight something is triggered in your mind and said, I have that. I know what it's like to feel constant pain. I know what it's like to have sorrow or grief. I know what it's like to have something congenital that I've suffered with my entire life from birth. I know what it's like to have arthritis and the aches of getting older. Perhaps you've identified with something I've said tonight. And Paul, I don't think, if I'm reading the Scriptures correctly, it bothered him so much that he had the ailment. It bothered him that it hindered his ministry. For some reason, it, it seemed like it was slowing him down. Now, if I, if I read the scriptures and, and I understand the life of Paul at all, it seems like he was aggressive with the gospel, wouldn't you say? He went everywhere preaching Christ. He went on four different missionary journeys. And, and even in his bonds in Rome, he was preaching the gospel to his captors and telling, I wonder how many Roman soldiers got saved. Because Paul spent day and night with them and on ships. And you'll remember as we studied the book of Acts that special privileges were given to Paul as they took prisoners off. He was allowed to go off and visit family and visit friends and and spend time alone because they trusted Paul because of the relationships he had built with these Roman soldiers. And so Paul, I wonder how many he had won to the Lord. He was aggressive with the gospel. 
And he went everywhere preaching Christ. And he didn't like the idea that something was slowing him down. But he also came to the understanding of this. Lest I should be exalted above measure. The Lord Jesus Christ said himself, a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. Paul wasn't in his own country most of the time. Most of the persecution that Paul received was in Israel and Jerusalem. It was there that he'd be arrested and taken to Caesarea by the sea and there from there enter a ship two years later and, and head to Rome. And so it was, it was the Jewish people, it was at home where he was persecuted so he understood that as he went about, that there was times where multitudes came to hear him preach. Many would be saved. His heart longed to meet with these people as we see in the letters as he wrote back to them and said, I, I, my desire is to be with you. The book of Acts tells us that, that he could not even go back to Ephesus and so he, he met at a port south of Ephesus and there the people of Ephesus came to him to meet with him. He said, why is that? Because he said, if I go to Ephesus, I will stay there. We had such a great time in ministry and I love the people so much. I don't dare go there and go to church because I will not continue with my ministry. But now Paul was feeling hindered. But he come to the understanding that at some point in my ministry, I might get exalted too much. And so God has allowed this to humble me. And he says, I sought the Lord about it three times. In verse 8, I sought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And here's the answer he got, and we want to look at that tonight. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Notice three things tonight that we notice about his grace. And perhaps you've identified with some of these things that we've talked about, the aches and the pains of this life, the grief and the sorrow that we can feel. Here's what we need to understand there is one prayer request that God always answers in the affirmative 100% of the time. You know, God always answers prayer, but sometimes it's no. But here's the prayer he always answers. God, I need grace. God, I need grace. You can go to the throne of grace and look for mercy, but you'll find what? Grace to help in the time of need. How many of you have had a time of need? Don't raise your hand. That, that, that phrase, time of need, can be quite a broad brush, can it? There can be a lot of things that we could put into that category. What is it to, to suffer need? What is it to feel need of the heart? And what is it to feel need in our body? We've had so many funerals in the last few months, whether directly here at the church or family of the church. I was talking to Jim Cochran. He said, I'm almost afraid to answer the phone because every time the phone rings, it's another death from Ferris Funeral Home. Incredible what we've, we've seen. And everybody in the room has been touched by it and suffered the grief and the sorrow, some more than others. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, that others are hurting as much as you, perhaps. That phrase, time of need, can mean a lot of things. But notice what he says about his grace. He said unto me, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient. 
sufficient. So what does sufficient mean? It means it's enough. It's enough. It's actually a word picture that we find in the Word of God. The word sufficient, it's interesting. It's talking about a dam. You think about it. Who, who here has been to the Hoover Dam? Raise your hand. Ever seen the Hoover Dam? No? A couple over here? Yeah. Anybody else? The Hoover Dam? A few of you have? Okay. How many of you have seen pictures of it? It's incredible, isn't it? It's huge. I've never been there, but I've seen the, the pictures of it, and I've seen uh, documentaries about it and how it was built and different things. And I, I've seen a guy on the top of it throw a Frisbee off of it and, and drop a ball down and different things just to do scientific experiments. And just very interesting how big a monstrosity it is, and it's holding back the Colorado River and thousands upon thousands of gallons of water. That's the word picture here. Now, on the other side, there is water that comes through that dam. And they can open those louvers every once in a while, and they can allow a little bit more water through if they need. And, of course, it's, it's generating hydroelectricity. And, and so there's water that's going through that dam, and it's trickling over. And somebody might be down at the other side of that dam, and they might see that water coming through, and they might even be able to walk up to it. I, I don't know how much that flow is, but there might be times where it's just a trickle, and they can go and they can refresh themselves in the desert there. Stand under that water. There's other times where it'd flow a little harder and you might not want to get too close. Maybe just you can touch the water with your hands. And other times there's a torrent coming through and you wouldn't dare go near. You might get washed away. And so there's some danger there. And somebody might look upon that and say, what, a, what an amazing spectacle. and What a powerful amount of water that is coming over there. It's like Niagara Falls coming through that dam. But consider what that dam is holding back. Consider, consider the torrent of water if that dam was not there. The power that would be unleashed if a crack appeared in that dam and were to burst forth all at once. That's what the word sufficient means. You're only getting the trickle on this side. But God is holding back all the forces of hell. Think about this. Paul talks about this adversary, a messenger of Satan. Do you know how many millions of demons are chained in everlasting darkness awaiting their day of punishment that cannot even affect Paul? He's only feeling a portion, only a little bit. There, there's a lot of evil in this world, but there's a great restrainer called the Holy Spirit. And his grace is sufficient and he protects us. And if we will just surrender to him and allow him into our lives, he says this, my grace is sufficient. Oh, you're feeling sorrow tonight? That's not near what you could be feeling. I'm holding back all what the devil wants to throw at you. Because yes, we sorrow, but not as others which have no hope. Because we have Jesus Christ. And we have the peace that passes understanding. And so it is a sufficient grace. And it is enough in our lives if we'll just trust in him. And if we'll go to that throne room of grace and we'll seek out mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. But this scripture also tells us another thing. It's not just a sufficient grace. It is a strengthening grace. Notice what he says. He says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Hey, when you can't, I can. I asked Brother Shirley to sing that song a few weeks ago, three weeks ago. He has. I haven't always been faithful, but he has. 
And on and on the song just goes just like that back and forth and, and just says, I, I, I don't always have strength, but he does. I can't always, I, I can't always uh, uh, be, uh, do my best, but he's always the best. I can't cover my own sins. My works aren't good enough. They're filthy rags, but his blood is sufficient. And back and forth it goes, and it just reinforces the thought that when I am weak, he is strong. That in my weakness, his strength is made perfect, and that is his grace. It's not just a sufficient grace, but it is a strengthening grace. Here's the thing. In those times, in that hour of need, that time of need, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, when we need grace the most, it's when we think we are our weakest. Let me say that again. When you believe you are in need of grace, it's when you think you are your weakest. But the truth is, that's when he's the most mighty. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. Think about that. I'll, I'll be honest, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything about myself, but there have been times where I've stood in the pulpit thinking I've got nothing. And God shows up. And God moves. It was a Sunday after my, my dad died. And we'd had a week. I mean, it was Sunday night. We got a call Tuesday that he died. Thursday or Friday was the funeral, whatever it was. We got back into town Saturday. And Sunday morning, I got up early. And I hadn't had time to study. hadn't had time to think. And I opened up a scripture and I wrote down four words on a piece of paper. And I said, Lord, that's all I've got. Please bless it. And the Lord stirred. I believe a couple got saved that day. I was preaching on grace. Another came for baptism. And you say, oh, it must have been a great message. No, it was terrible. It was the, one of the weakest points of my life. And that's why I can talk about it tonight, because it wasn't me. It was all him. It was his strength. His grace is a sufficient grace, but it is a strengthening grace. You say, I, I, I don't know how I'll get through this. You don't have to do it alone. His grace is sufficient, but his strength is evident. And he'll gladly, he says, he says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Can I give you one more tonight? It is a saving grace. Isn't that good night and good news? It's not in the passage that we're looking at, but it's in Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn there if you like. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Let me say it again. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a saving grace. The fact that we can be saved is by the grace of God alone. What is grace? Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. It is unmerited favor. You see, what is the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is him withholding what we do deserve. He's withholding his wrath and his judgment. And so he looks down upon us in our frail estate and even the unsaved of this world, the fact that God does not annihilate them in a moment because the wages of sin is death, is his mercy. 
And what is his grace? That to those same people that are deserving of death, he would send his only begotten son into this lost and dying world and allow his son Jesus Christ to take all the sins of the world upon himself and not just nail them to the cross, but nail the ordinances that accused us to the cross in Colossians chapter 2. So when the devil comes along and points the finger at us, not only does Christ have to say their sins are forgiven, that law doesn't even apply anymore because they're under grace. They're saved by grace and they live by grace because the law has been fulfilled perfectly in the life of Jesus Christ. Friend, you can, you can choose tonight to live by the law. You can stand before the God of this world one day and the Bible says the books will be opened. Why does it say books? Well, because we know one's a book of life. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life shall be cast into the lake of fire. You know why that is? Because there's another book there as well. The Bible says books. I believe it's the law. And when you're not found in the book of life, they're going to have to open the book of the law and they're going to say, okay, did, was he perfect? Thou shalt not lie, bear false witness. Thou shalt not kill. And on and on they'll go through the law of God. And each and every one will be found guilty. He's all, oh, but I've never, have you coveted? Have you lied? Have you sinned? Guilty. You better be found in the book of life. How do you get there? For by grace are you saved through faith. Simply by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. By putting your faith in him. You see, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And all have sinned all of us, and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible says this, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Price has been paid. If the wages of sin is death, Jesus Christ took that death when he died on the cross and he paid the price. This morning we talked about being redeemed. That's what it means to pay the ransom, to pay the price, to be purchased by his blood. And through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven tonight. The sacrifice has been made. The, 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 the lamb has died in your place. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. It's that simple. Now, I believe with all my heart when the Bible says faith, it is not talking about just, well, I, I just believe in Jesus. The Bible talks about the devils in hell. They believe and they tremble. I believe it's talking about a life-changing faith. A faith that says, I will come to the Lord Jesus Christ with all my sin and my sorrow and my shame, and I'll lay it down at the foot of the cross. And I will trust in the finished work of Calvary and his shed blood to wash away my sins and his Holy Spirit will come into my life and he will regenerate me or give me a new life. The Bible puts it this way. And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins and he will change you forevermore. But you must know him. You must know him.
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. Maybe there's some here tonight that need to reach out for that sufficient grace. You say, how do I do it? Come to the throne room of grace and seek for mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The Bible says, tells us how to do it too. And if Hebrews chapter 4 says, therefore come boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace. You can come and find a sufficient grace tonight. You can find that it is not just sufficient, but it's strengthening. That in his, in your weakness, he is made strong. But maybe there's one tonight as the piano begins to play and let's stand to our feet. Maybe there's one tonight that says, I need the saving grace of God. I don't know of a time where I've ever put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be my savior. Pastor, would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you, I promise you. Please pray for me. I'm not going to, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. Would you slip up your hand? Let us help you tonight. We'll show you what the Bible says about eternal life. Is there one? I'm glad that each one professes to be saved tonight. Each one here says, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's not you, please let us help you. It's not about the church, it's not about some doctrinal creed you hold to it's not about your knowledge of the Bible it's about whether or not you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for by grace are you saved through faith it's not some general faith to say that I'm part of the faith no it's a personal faith whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved You have to make that decision in your heart for you alone. Do you know him tonight?